Welcome to the Thanks Therapy Podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I am Dr. Emma Lydon. And I'm Hannah Lydon, and this is our Therapy Appreciation Podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And today we're talking about body image, self-esteem, and how your feelings about how you present to the world can impact on your well-being. Let's go. Let's go. Thanks Therapy. Thanks Therapy. So before we begin, last week, Emma, you did a corrections corner. Yes. And it was very informative. And I just sat here like, I never say anything wrong. It's fine. <laughs> and on upon reflection, I have a few corrections. But my main one that I was actually embarrassed about upon re-listening right. was that I said, I was talking about the book Man's Search for Meaning yes, which by have. the author Victor E. Frankel. Mm-hmm. And I just said, he, I think he's still alive. He is not alive. Oh. That's blatantly untrue. He was born in 1905. Oh, right, okay. And he died in 1997, aged 92, <gasps> having survived the Holocaust and gone on to publish several books. And if, I think by my calculations, he would have been like 115 or something. <laughs> so he's not alive, and I was wrong. Um, uh, so I just wanted to clear that up. Sorry well, about that. I also said that very authoritatively that he was a psychiatrist, which he, he was... He was a psychiatrist, neurologist, and like I think in those days the training was different. But anyway, he specialised in the brain. Mm. But I think so. Both of us read that book, and we both got stuff about him wrong. Yeah, that just goes to show you shouldn't trust things that we say. No, I'm glad it's not just me doing corrections, and I do have complicated feelings about doing corrections. Currently (laughs) doing my PhD (laughs) corrections, I'm feeling like. But I did this already. Yeah, I already finished fine. it. And now like, I have to change a few sentences and like 150 spelling mistakes or whatever. It's okay. But it's good to have things be correct. And what I would say to our listeners is, if we make a mistake and you hear it and you're like, that's actually wrong. Just assume the viewpoint that we have, you know, misspoke <laughs> or, you know, we do know the thing and we've accidentally said the wrong thing. Um, because we're doing live recording and we're bound to just speak our, our brain farts out sometimes, aren't we? Yeah. And we, we can all relax a bit if we just assume that viewpoint. I often hear people in podcasts say a thing and go, oh, they made a mistake there. I don't feel the need to like write a letter or anything. To no, them. no. I don't care, really. Yeah. But um, I think the thing that bothered me was the confidence with which I said that this man was alive and 115. Yeah. And he's not. No, when we, we it's very easy for us to criticise ourselves in that way when we hear ourselves go, Yeah, Daphne, he was a psychiatrist, he was officially is <laughs> official officially the way. So sorry about that. Um everything I will say in this one will be correct. No. Thank you. We're we're not gonna promise correctness hundred percent of the time. <laughs> um so anyway, today we are talking about something that we have actually mentioned lightly in previous episodes, but we wanted to um, you know, focus in on today the issue of body image and uh, how it's troubled me personally in the past and the present, in fact, as well. And me also. Um, when we decided to do this as our topic, I was like, whoa, mm. a little bit, I had a bit of nerves. Yeah. Because this is quite up close and personal for yes. me. And I'm sure for a lot of people, this is a tricky thing to talk about. But then remember that the whole point of this podcast is to talk about the uncomfortable stuff and be radically vulnerable <gasps> so let's do it okay let's i mean radically go. vulnerable is an amazing way to put it oh. um and i hadn't ever thought of that before i had the same kind of like uh, feeling that <laughs> you had but um and i do want us to be cautious as well with our personal stuff but i was thinking well wondering if the female listeners of this podcast might be like well duh, duh. attitude to to suffering with body image issues because it does feel like every woman in the world has unrealistic or unhealthy 
or unwanted feelings about their own body. And of course, it isn't just limited to women. So I went away and guess what I did, Hannah? Did you do some research because you're a research psychologist? Yes, I look Yay! for the research, baby. Research. <laughs> yeah. So um, in the book Body Image, Understanding Body Dissatisfaction in Men, Women and Children, mm. psychology professor Sarah Grogan provides a really comprehensive summary of research into body image. And so I had a quick look at this book. Couldn't read the whole book because it's very comprehensive, as it's I said. Book. It's a book, yes. I'm not going to read a book for each episode <laughs> that we do. But... A book a week. <laughs> um, uh, so here are some of the things that I can tell you from the book. So while body image issues are more common in women than men, as one might expect, mm-hmm. um, sexuality, age and psychological factors such as self-esteem and the internalization of body ideals impact on this so it does affect uh, it's not just men or women no um and in the 21st century more and more research has been done that has looked at body image issues in men and children cool that's good so one thing is that women tend to want to be lighter men are less likely to want to be light lighter they're more likely to want to be more muscular mm, that's interesting um, isn't it it is interesting yeah so it, it is based on whatever the particular cultural ideal is, I think. But I wanted to share this definition with you. So in the book, The Image and Appearance of the Human Body, um, this author, Schilder, this was published in 1950, mm-hmm. okay, um, argued that body image is not just a perceptual construct, but also a reflection of attitudes and interactions with others. So he was interested in the elasticity of body image and the reasons for fluctuations in perceived body size, feelings of lightness and heaviness, and the effects of body image on interactions with others. And he defined body image as the picture of our own body which we form in our mind, that is to say, the way in which the body appears to ourselves. Mm. And I think that reflects the concept really well, Hans. That is really, that is good. Let me reflect upon that. Okay. The picture of our own body which we form in our own mind yes the way in which the body appears to ourselves Mm -hmm. that's so good because he's getting right to the core of the mechanism of what it feels like is going wrong Mm -hmm. whenever people um are having problems with that process and they begin to hate their bodies yeah and this is obviously a very complex topic and we can never cover everything Mm -hmm. but i'm also interested in what he says are about feelings of lightness and heaviness Mm -hmm. because that's that feels very familiar um, mm. And in my recent experiences and struggles with <clears throat> body image, they're not, how I would characterise it is they're not really related to how I look mm-hmm. necessarily um, because I feel differently about that day to day. But how my mood affects my over my liking of my overall pre- presentation to the world. Mm-hmm. And the term lightness and heaviness feels really close to what I could try and describe that as mm. and I've not really been able to before um, because those terms are so close to those that we use to describe mood and I think that can't be a coincidence yeah that's very interesting um, and I suppose I hadn't really thought about that like you know when you feel like your mood is light or you feel very you've got a very heavy mm. mood and yeah. I do think it's relevant that you know how we feel perceive and experience our bodies fluctuates and this is something that I've experienced my whole life and while I have now much more robust mechanisms for addressing it I did still have to look in the mirror the other morning to check that my I felt like my double chin was like you know Captain Holt when he gets double mumps in (laughs) Brooklyn Nine-Nine that is what I before I looked in the mirror I perceived that that my whole neck was so swollen because I thought it was so bad wow that's quite extreme then when I looked in the mirror I was like no actually your head is normal your head and neck are normal absolutely yeah (laughs) and uncoincidentally I hadn't been feeling terribly brilliant mood wise in those those couple of days and And when that occurred mumps mumps neck mumps neck yeah that was how extreme I felt maybe just mentally you had mumps neck mentally I did yeah you had mumps of the brain yeah mood so um the other thing that I wanted to say about body image issues is the negativity about larger bodies and I came across this in my research as well so there's an Australian sociologist Deborah Lupton 
and she's investigated the socio-cultural basis for revulsion towards or the unacceptability of larger bodies mm. in Western cultures. And in her 2013 book, Fat, like that's the name of the book, F-A-T, Fat, she challenges the negative ideologies around shape and weight and she discusses fat activism and the size acceptance movement. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I love seeing increasing across the world. Um, accepting our size and shape. I mean, as someone who has had two children, my body is not that of a swimsuit model. However, I do find it hard to shake the feeling that it should be, you know? And yeah, which is bullshit. Yeah, I know. I really know I should ex- accept myself and be grateful that my body is is healthy and works. Yes, work being the operative word, which mm. is great. I'm so, I love that stuff. Um, I think we are on the forefront of a big massive movement of like radical self-acceptance. I think that's very beautiful. Mm. However, Emma, we are talking about one thing and I'm going to change the subject and talk about another thing slightly. Okay, I'm ready for it. when I was researching this, I was kind of um, beginning to move away from the idea of of what we look like Mm -hmm. um, and wanting to consider the inner, Mm. i.e. what is happening inside the brain and your mind and your thoughts and your feelings in there. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to think of body image issues and immediately think like social media, fashion magazines, diet culture, Instagram, all those things. And of course, those are valid contributors. But I think there is more interesting stuff to talk about. Um, and the thing that I'm fascinated by is what's happening in the psyche when someone struggles with self-image. And I think that what you just said captures it really well. It's not necessarily the actual reality of how we look that bothers us i.e looking in the mirror and going my head is normal Mm. but i bet your mood was not instantly relieved by that Mm. um so there's obviously something else going on Mm. it's that the way we look to others or in the mirror or in photographs does not match how we feel in our bodies Mm -hmm. or in ourselves Mm -hmm. in the self um, and I think that goes beyond simply like how much you weigh, um, how you, how, what your muscle tone is, mm. you know, how your face is looking that day. Are you feeling puffy or weird? Yeah. Um, although I think that's definitely a factor for many people. So I'm interested in the inside, yes. the brain, what's happening. I know you are. And uncoincidentally, you have just started your psychology master's. <gasps> Very interested in the inside of the brain. I love the inside of the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I do think there's a mismatch of perception that is also to do with our our internalisation of what a body is supposed to look like. I mean, I I hear what you're saying about moving away from the external perception, but I feel like part of the internal perception is to do with that, you know, that internalisation of what we think a body is supposed to look like versus what we perceive our body to look like. Oh, yes. it's a, They're two different things, really. Yeah. And also bearing in mind that your perception usually isn't accurate. You know that, that there's a test that has been done where they get people to draw themselves an outline of what shape or size they think they are on a big piece of paper on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then they have them lie down on top of it and then draw around them properly. Yeah. Right. And they, they're always smaller than their perception of themselves and their bum is always smaller and their their stomach is always smaller and you know because it's very difficult to perceive yourself correctly yeah we inaccurately represent ourselves internally and then to add to that we compare it with an unrealistic ideal um that we can never hope to match Mm -hmm. and also we have been using the term body image issues here to describe the general and arguably more moderate experience that many people share, but these type of difficulties can become even more serious when they're associated with illnesses such as anorexia, bulimia, bulimia or other eating disorders, yeah. and with body dysmorphia. Now, I feel that eating disorder is such a complex area that I would not feel confident really talking about it in depth. No, for um, sure. It's also one of the most dangerous mental illnesses there is in terms of mortality. There are specialists in this area both in terms of organisations you can go to, medical professionals and private practitioners. And obviously we would always encourage anyone to seek help if there was a mental health need of any kind. Um, I did just want to talk about body dysmorphia more because I feel it's important to distinguish that from body image issues, which is what we're talking about yes. because that's more general. Whereas 
body dysmorphia is an actual diagnosis. It's a diagnosis, right. But it was only entered into the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, in the fifth edition, which is the most recent edition. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a recognised condition before that. Obviously, all eating disorders were recognised conditions already, but body dysmorphia wasn't. Um, so officially, it's a diagnosis involving distress due, due to a perceived physical anomaly. Mm-hmm such as a scar or the shape or size of a body part um, or other, some other personal feature, body dysmorphia tends to focus on a particular perceived flaw. Okay. Like, my boobs aren't big enough, my ears are too big. Um, and while most of us can identify with some level of body dissatisfaction, someone with um, body dysmorphic disorder, I think it's called officially, will have persistent and intrusive thoughts about the imagined flaw right. and they'll be out of proportion with the significance of the flaw. Okay. Um, in fact, most often other people will not notice the perceived anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the distortion part of the disorder. So right. there's a distorted image of the body or an aspect of the body. Now, again, I know this may ring bells for people listening because it is similar to what many people experience. And I suppose the criteria to meet a diagnosis is often the severity, really. Yeah. Uh, body dysmorphic disorder can cause um, distress, excessive self-consciousness, avoidance of social situations and intimacy, leading to depression, isolation and potential suicidality, um, or excessive compensatory behaviours um, to compensate for the perceived flaw. Um, and that could include undergoing unnecessary cosmetic procedures, which yeah. I felt rang a lot of bells here, <clears throat> you know, just in terms of things you might see in the world. It made me think about a lot of people who'd have cosmetic procedures like, you know, have their lips filled, um, which, you know, was, wasn't even necessary in the first place. I mean, it's never really necessary. <laughs> That's, yeah. that should, we should highlight <laughs> that. It's never necessary. Um, but, you know, they, they then, they, damage their appearance essentially mm-hmm. but for what because they've perceived this thing to be such a significant flaw in their appearance so there is like a compulsive definitely there's a compulsive it. you can't let it go you can't right. let it go yeah when i was young our family all have either larger ears or sticky out ears yeah. and when i was a young person growing up like a child in primary school i was obsessed with my ears oh I was really obsessed with them yeah I wanted to get them pinned back. I wanted to have surgery to get them pinned back. And when I got into my early 20s, I sort of discovered um, that I didn't care anymore. Like I just, I just was like, oh, I don't think it's that big a deal. I wear my hair down. If I put my hair up, I, I look like I have a very small head anyway. So I tend to wear my hair down. So it's not really that big a deal. Yeah. And it's only ears. And who cares? But I was obsessed with it for years. I did not know that. Yeah. I used to be obsessed with my wrist and ankle thickness. I'm sure I've mentioned this to you before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I realised relatively recently, so approaching 30, that I can do literally nothing about those aspects of my body. It was like I had chosen subconsciously to choose the The one thing that you couldn't do. You literally can't alter Mm. without, I don't know, somebody chiseling the bone. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that. So no. I just forgot about it, but I don't think I was obsessed, really. So I don't think it's just like a thing that I didn't like. Yeah, maybe maybe obsession was too strong a word, but it did like it was a massive part of my life for mm. all of those years. That's a long time. That's a maybe long. Maybe it is obsessed. <laughs> that's, yeah, I'd say that's obsessed. Anyway, I but you're I not obsessed anymore. It. I'm not obsessed, but no, really. Well, there you I'm go. obsessed with other things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this all brings me neatly or maybe not that neatly to the stuff that I was really excited to talk to you about this week because do you want to talk about some French psychoanalytic theory oh always baby because I'm gonna shoehorn it in (laughs) um I thought this would be in for this topic I thought it'd be interesting to talk about Jacques Lacan and the mirror stage (gasps) oh my god so who is Lacan? What is the mirror stage? I assume everyone is crying at home. Yes. Um, here we go. So Jacques Lacan was a French psychoanalyst and psychiatrist who's been called the most controversial psychoanalyst since Freud. Whoa. Which is pretty big talk. I was looking at his 
Wikipedia page uh-huh. and there's like you know a section for like controversies uh-huh. and it's basically just other academics being like oh I don't like that he says about this some feminists said he was phallocentric oh yeah which surprise is surprise an issue um, but um, Chomsky called him like a total charlatan or something like he didn't even go into why because he's just like I fucking hate that guy <laughs> anyway I thought that was a fun bit of dirt um, so he was active throughout the 20th century and is probably best known for his work on the theory of the mer stage, which is a developmental stage in infants, usually occurring between the six and eighteen month mark, um, wherein they recognise their own reflection in a mirror as themselves, yeah, not another baby or another person, mm-hmm. and this is considered a crucial stage in mental development. So, to give context, and Ems, you're a psychologist, so mm-hmm. maybe you can help me out here with terms. Prior to this stage of development, the infant experiences their body as felt. Mm-hmm. The world for them is experienced through hands, mouth, primary senses, and they don't really have any concept of existing separately from the world mm. um, or their primary caregiver, which is usually the mother. Yeah. Um, so they are just like, I'm the world, the world's me, I'm the centre of everything, everyone behave accordingly. And awesome. pretty much people do because they're like, yeah. that's what you do with the baby. Um, mm. So because of this, they have no concept that other people see them or that they look like anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty hard to imagine because as adults, we have all gone through this mirror stage. But basically, imagine being a baby. Yeah. And you don't remember what it's like. So, um, when they see a bi- when they are put in front of a mirror and mm-hmm. they see a baby in the mirror and go, yeah. oh, that baby is mimicking all my movements or are those my movements? Mm-hmm. Or when that when my mum pats my that baby's head... Mm-hmm. I can feel it on my head. Mm-hmm. And if this process all goes to plan, as I've badly described it, they realise that actually that baby is an image of them mm-hmm. and that they have a reflection. Other people see them. They look like something in the world. They inhabit a body. Yeah. And that is massive. <laughs> have I explained that well? Yes, totally. <laughs> um it's just, I find it so interesting. The The mirror stage is this very clever French dude puts it, is essentially the stage of development at which the infant becomes self-aware. Yes. So this is commonly tested using the mirror test, which I think a lot of people, more people will heard off, have heard off rather than the mirror this, stage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the test commonly, they put a red dot on the face of the subject. And if they realize by looking at the reflection that the red dot is on their own face, it's supposed that they realise that they are looking at a reflection of themselves and therefore they are self-aware. Yeah. So humans develop it from about six months and chimps and orangutans are the only other animals that have convincingly passed this test. Mm. Um, if Marty was here, he would want to mention about dolphins <laughs> and a few and elephants oh, and really? a few other animals. And while they have passed the test on occasion and not enough tests have been done for it to be like definitively written down Mm. um because it's harder to test elephants and dolphins absolutely simply that you know there's less of them in captivity or available to put dots on their head and put a big giant mirror (laughs) (laughs) i imagine that'd be hard to orchestrate underwater but also in the so i i think i saw a bbc documentary when i was like 13 Uh and it showed babies being having this thing done to them yeah um and i think it planted like a small obsessive seed in my brain because mm-hmm. i always think about it mm-hmm. and then i learned about it in uni and i was like what yeah but yeah when they do it with babies or chimps yeah the way that you can tell that the baby has recognized that it's its own reflection is because they will put Touch their hand on their head yeah to their actual head to try and take the red sticker off yes they'll go what is this on me What's that they'll on realize me? it's Instead of touching it on the mirror. On the mirror, exactly, yeah. Imagine dolphins can't do that because dolphins don't have hands. Um, But it is, the mirror stage is in some sense like a kind of awakening Mm -hmm. where we first feel perceived. Mm -hmm. Um, And crucially, I only really understood this this week when doing this research. The mirror stage can be a source of significant anxiety for the child, according to analysts. Mm -hmm. Um, Firstly, as I mentioned, because of this sudden freaky realization that they are a separate body from their mother and she could just physically leave which is like a baby's worst nightmare Mm. and also because according to Lacan this moment in development is when we first gain a sense of self Mm -hmm. and that as we all know is challenging yeah um 
the reason I'm going on about this and why I think it's relevant is because I think when we're talking about body image, body dysmorphia, self-loathing for whatever reason, I think we are really talking about the almost unbearable sensation of feeling one way inside um, and learning through whatever means that the outside of us is not as we imagine Mm. and that there's a disconnect between those two and that is very jarring. Like, for example, when you um, see a candid photo of yourself or hear your voice on a recording, Mm. (laughs) even if it's fine, even if it's a great photo, even if you're being normal in the recording, there's that twinge of, oh, that's not what happens in my head when I think my imagine myself doing those things yeah I think we've all felt that to varying degrees definitely um for some it's more painful Mm -hmm. for some it's you know just a mild discomfort um and I think that when the gap between me inside my body and me seen by others becomes wide or distorted yeah that is when you have big diffs yes do you know what I'm saying I I know that was a diversion from you talking about (laughs) overfilled lips but perhaps those people are just trying to make their outside match their ideal perception of themselves. Oh, yeah. Is that, am I being I No, you're not. The thing is, is I'm realising more and more every time we record that your depth of analysis is much more significant than mine. I'm like, science says this. And you're like, but in the felt sense of the thing is very intense for everyone. Well, we need both. Yes. Because otherwise it would just be me sitting here being like, let me tell you what I think about Pink Floyd. And nobody <laughs> needs that. We no, need we the science well. side. Anyway, no, um, loads of that makes sense to me. But sometimes I do take issue with psychoanalysts always thinking babies are being made anxious by their normal stages well, this, of This guy's French, so like, <laughs> no, but it, It's very common. There's a, there's a lot of stuff like that in psychoanalysis when they're talking about developmental stages where... They, there's a lot of talk about babies being made anxious by mm. the potential separation of themselves and the mother and stuff like that. And I think that, first of all, we we are, this all of this, we can't tell what a baby's thinking. They can't tell us. Yeah, they can't. So we're assuming a lot of these things. And secondly, um, I don't think they're aware enough to be necessarily anxious as such as we would understand anxiety yeah, now. I don't think I think what my interpretation of those terms used in those kinds of texts mm-hmm. like particularly like older psychoanalysis stuff mm-hmm. is that they are using it in like an existential sort of a way. Yes they, they are but also I, I do think that it's kind of over identification with the subject which is yeah, the other thing I, about, I do agree. about the phallic sense centric stuff yeah. like I do think that there's no female psychoanalysts who are obsessed with phallic central stu- centric stuff do you know what I mean like really. the girls being developing despair because they don't have a penis like I think that's just over identification you just think oh my god imagine not having a penis that would be terrible actually it's fine yeah you know so calm down I'm sure like that, that does happen for some girls but it's not like of course yeah of course it does yeah that we all experience no. consciously um, but I want uh, the second part of what you said, which is really um, important to focus on. Um, so there I can say? be well. So you said about there being a pain in the disconnect between what we feel we are and then we what we discover ourselves to be. So how do we get past this pain? Because in my opinion, the disconnect must always be there. You know, we can't mm. always keep or know or hold a perception of ourselves at all times because if you think about it, it would make you so self-conscious. Oh God, yeah, it would be crippling. You know, it's why I had to go and look in the mirror the other day because the the image that I was holding of myself wasn't related to the to the reality of the situation and yeah. was very distracting, you Absolutely, know, yeah. to think I had a big, massive neck. <laughs> Um, so how do we get past this? Because this is what I, I, when I was doing this episode, I was thinking, you know, it's interesting for us to talk about these things, but it, we do have to bring it back to how can we make this helpful for people? Absolutely. That's the whole so, point. Yeah. This so exercise. I feel like the answer has got to be found in acceptance and mm. not just self-acceptance, but self-love. Um, and in thinking about this, I was reflecting on my life as a lifelong sufferer of body image issues. And I realized, I've realized this recently that at each stage in my life when I felt myself to be unacceptable in some way, the wrong weight mostly, but other problems I had with my parents, when I look back at pictures of those times, I was completely fine. Yeah, that's always the way, isn't it? I think I, I looked quite good. 
And I wish I looked like that now sometimes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's... But each of those stages, through various dress sizes and very, various ages, I thought I was... I was always waiting to be better. Mm-hmm. I was I was hoping that the, you know, the next thing that I did or, you know, if I lost some weight, then I would be great and I would look good. Um, and... And on reflection from approaching 40, when I look back now, I wish I hadn't waited. I wish I hadn't been perpetually waiting to be satisfied with my appearance and actually just enjoyed who I was and not worried about what I looked like so much, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I think about it now, I want to take the same advice. I want to give myself the same advice for now. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, So when I'm 50 or 60 or 70, I will look back on my current appearance and... And I feel I will be satisfied. I think, God, it was great. Remember when I looked like that? Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, I need to lose a stone. Right. Okay. That's the opposite okay. of what you're saying. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to take my own advice. I'm trying to yeah. say, I want to look back and know that at, at that time I was enjoying being me and enjoying, mm. you know, being in my own body. And just to clarify, I am super duper enjoying being me and having a brilliant time. That's nice. But I do have some dissatisfaction about my appearance, like yeah. like ninety percent of the female population out there. Sure. So, um, you know, time is racing past me now, Hans, and I've spent all this time dissatisfied with how I look, and I'm actually bored of it now. Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about a little bit about ways that have helped me and bits of advice that exist about how to come overcome some of these issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to see if you can guess what the first one is, Hannah. I'll give you a clue. It's in the name of our podcast. Oh my goodness. Is it therapy? Yeah. No way. (laughs) So I know we're basically just one big advert for therapy, but the point of that is if you have these feelings about yourself and you're struggling with your self-esteem and your self-love and your self-acceptance, that usually comes about because of things that have happened to you. Messages you have received about yourself in your early life or in a significant relationship. Um, and also I would check, I would say check your current relationships are not making you feel bad. That mm-hmm. there's not a current relationship where you're getting negative feedback about yourself that is impacting your self-esteem. And when we have our, our self-esteem is impacted, it can go in different directions. So it can focus on your appearance or it can focus on your intelligence, can focus on your confidence, your self-confidence and going out into the world or speaking to people. Yeah. Um, it's very common for it to focus on your appearance. Yeah. Surround yourself with positive people, I would mm-hmm. say, who appreciate you for who you are. And that will definitely make an impact on on what's going on. Yeah, for sure. And that, I mean, I when you're saying that, I can think of times when I was like physically happier with how I look Mm -hmm. but it was because um I was in like I can think of one example where I was in a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. where this person was vocally dissatisfied with my fitness and I was quite thin at the time oh um and told me to go to the gym and I did I sort of did all this in quite good faith and was like oh "Oh, I'm you know I'm gonna get really strong and I'm gonna be like hot or whatever, mm. um, and looking back, I'm like, oh my god, I could not have been more hysterically miserable, but I thought I was doing really well, because I was going to the gym every day. Oh, wow, um, I didn't even know about that, Hans. I've deliberately never told you that, because I thought you would be like, who the fuck was that? I, I would know. kill them. I'm going to get them, I'm going to get them right I'm now. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Pause, pause the recording, I've got to go and get somebody. Um, but yeah, the that's the other thing, is... Um, I'm by no means a big exercise person, mm. but the times in my life when I associate having the best body image was when I was doing exercise. Yeah. And it's annoying because <laughs> I'm lazy and I don't want to do exercise, but sadly, the truth is, it does make me feel better about myself, but it's not... I think the, the thing I want to clarify here is I'm not saying just do a bit of exercise and to lose weight, weight. and exactly. you'll feel better. Yeah, it's no. not about that. It's about spending some time to do something for myself and my body yeah. that I know will make me feel good. Yes. Instead of the outward appearance being the like goal mm-hmm. in mind or whatever. I read something one time somewhere, 
sources yeah. that was like, <laughs> if you exercise with an intention in mind, uh-huh. it has more impact or something. Like it physically can be measured that those workouts are more effective. Yeah. Well, we should um, add that to our list. We of should find out questions. what that was. What questions? So we're going to have a guest on about who's going to talk to us oh about mental God, health yeah. and exercise. We'll talk to you about that at the end. But um, oh, that yeah, should great. go on the questions. Good idea. So um, I just exercise just to stay on exercise. Sorry, I got all excited. <laughs> um, calm myself down now. But um, <laughs> I feel, I do feel much better. Like on the day that I go for a run, I feel mentally better that day. And when I am running, I feel better about how I look and my amazing. body. Absolutely. 100%. That's God, it's not so straightforward. But like... it is straightforward and the thing is, I think, is finding something that you enjoy doing that mm-hmm. you're like, I want to do this more than I don't want to do it. Sure. And yeah. for me, that's doing like a half run, half walk. I'm so impressed. Every other run. day. I mean, I run for maximum five minutes and then I walk. <sighs> maximum five, honestly. Even five, like three is is better for me. I'm not I'm really not pushing myself. I'm doing it because because it makes me feel good. Anyway. I think even the fact of doing it, but it makes me that makes me think of I think I've mentioned this before, but in the early scary stages of the pandemic mm. I did yoga every single day. Yeah. And I got into a thing of when I would finish whatever session I was doing, like uh-huh. any any amount of time between like twenty minutes and sixty minutes. Uh-huh. I at the end I would like look at each of my limbs uh-huh. and be like, Thanks. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank oh, you. that's incredible. To like be, I think because I was having health anxiety about being like, I'm going to get COVID and die. Yeah. I was like saying thanks to my body for like being able to do those things. Yes. That's um, beautiful. And that made me feel a lot better and I need to get back into doing that. Because mm-hmm. recently I've just been like, have some chips, well, body, last, here you go. Last week when we recorded, we were, you were in the middle of booking a, a yoga class for us both weren't you and I agree with you as well we've talked about yoga before but again I think it's that thing of you feel better about your body after you do it you feel better about yourself and your body yeah so another thing on the list of things that might help you yes and this is something that I learned to do a number of years ago I would say now a good lot of years ago is to take compliments Mm. so when someone says you look nice or good or gorgeous or whatever just say thank you yes don't disagree um, I used to disagree, but not only is it honestly irritating when you disagree with somebody complimenting you. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, I, I, di- I honestly, I did it for years. I would say, oh, I, no, I don't. Oh, I'm terrible. Oh, I'm this. I'm awful. Oh, yeah. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, I started to say thank you to compliments. And apart from it being a much more normal and less irritating response, it actually had a knock-on effect about how I thought about myself. Mm. So when somebody says you look nice and you say thank you, you will accept those words as truer than if you disagree with them. If you try to argue against you looking nice, um, you're giving yourself a different message, right? right? So if they say you look nice and you say thank you, and you allow that to let you feel nice about how you look. That is lovely. It is lovely. Another thing I would add to that is if nobody is giving you compliments, you might have to do them yourself. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't necessarily believe them. Like, I have, you know, I'm thinking of times when I've had to go out to something that I don't necessarily want to go to, and I'm feeling shit about how I look, and I'm like, ugh, nothing's going well. Even just look in the mirror and be like, your eyebrows are quite nice. <laughs> yes. You, ha- you know, you don't have big open sores on your face, mm. and that's lovely. Even those if you are have such to really subtle compliments, but <laughs> that's, those are extreme examples. If you're really struggling, if you're struggling, you can to find, find something, something nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you could then work your way up to being like, your hair looks good, yes. or you smell nice, mm-hmm. or what any kind of stuff like that. Yeah, she's saying I've... all true stuff about herself. Her eyebrows are great. Aww. Her hair looks good. She always smells lovely. I do like to smell nice. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm quite bad at taking a compliment mm. I a friend complimented me one time they came into my work and said like oh I love that dress or you know oh, your skin looks great and I, I and I responded each time I just thought in a normal way 
And she was like, do you realize everything I've said to you, you've counteracted? Uh-huh. They've been like, no, it looks like shit. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, my clothes are awful. They're, they're made of flies. <laughs> so I do need to get better at that. Yeah. But my, I was thinking this as you were speaking earlier, my philosophy in recent years mm-hmm. that has actually massively helped me with a lot of stuff has been... There's no pithy way to say this, and I would uh-huh. love to shorten it. Okay. Nobody is as interested in you as they are in themselves and their own weird thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a pretty pithy way to say it, but and I 100% agree. And I, I, have, I have passed this on to people as well, um, because, um, for example, I had a friend who, who really struggled walking into the gym. Ooh. So she, she yeah. wanted to go to the gym, she wanted to do her exercise, but she hated the bit of walking in and mm-hmm. she just felt so exposed and she thought everybody would be looking at her and I said to her just say honestly every single one of those people cares much more about themselves than they do about you 100% that is one time you can take solace in your irrelevance yeah. absolutely yeah and thank god because I think if you're feeling self-conscious you're walking around under your own scrutiny mm-hmm. and assuming that everybody else is paying the same amount of attention to you, and they're just not. It's physically impossible for everyone to look at you as you enter the gym. Yeah. Because that would be weird. Do, even if they do, they might be looking for their friend, or they're just, they're thinking, is this somebody who's going to look at me now? I'm oh feeling self-conscious about myself. Honestly, people are, are thinking about themselves most of the time. And really. if they are, on the off chance they are thinking mean stuff about you, fuck them that's their problem yeah that says much more about them than it says about you and i know we're saying some things that probably your parents said to you when you were (laughs) children but they were right guess what they were right reluctantly i will admit that my mom is right about quite a lot of stuff (laughs) yeah nobody is worried about what your hair looks like (laughs) oh my god they are it's the main focus of everyone's life yeah. Um, when I became a parent, I I heard myself saying things that my um mom had said, including, <laughs> "It's not a fashion parade." <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew that was going to be it. I did say it's that to the school, boys. Like, it's not a fashion show. <laughs> but when you're when you're ten and you just really want to wear the cool thing, you're like, "Oh my god, that's so irritating." Yeah. But I can now, as a parent, you're like. Just put those fucking shoes on. Like, you please just go to school. It's about learning. Yeah, it's so it's such a weird perspective shift. I know it's not it a fashion is. parade. It's not a fashion parade. <laughs> um. So then another one is um. Oh, yeah. Yes. So think about yourself in terms of what you would say to someone you love, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good tip for a lot of issues. But imagine thinking about your best friend the way you think about yourself. You simply wouldn't do it. Um, try to extend the same kindness to others as you do. No, the same kindness you extend to others, to yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, for example, if you think your stretch marks are terrible, what would you say to someone else with stretch marks? You might say, these are normal marks on skin. 80% of women have some. They don't look as bad as you think. They're not as visible as you think. And they're not in any way as big a problem as you think they are. Yeah. You know, that's what you would say to your, your friend. And it's not, you wouldn't be lying to them. You're not, you know, you're, no, not, you're not trying to place yeah, them. That's actually what you think about their particular body issue that they think is the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you can extend the same sort of kindness to yourself as you would to others. um, For example, you said to me one time, I was complaining about having put on a couple of kilos. And you said, that's two more kilos of you in the world to love. I said that? Yep. God, I'm brilliant. That's so nice. You are. I keep telling you that. That's so nice. I know. And I was like... I remember that. And I really felt like... I felt so much more validated about taking up two kilos more space in the world. Really, I did. Genuinely. Fuck it. I was like... I'm glad that past me was nice to you. Yeah, past you and present you and future you, I hope. <laughs> oh, well, dear. next week, Hannah <laughs> and Emma have a huge fight. No, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, that's... The whole thing is quite... I think we're still talking a lot in terms about, like, um, appearance. Mm-hmm. And that's... I have never really... I was sort of reflecting on this, reflecting mm-hmm. this week, writing this episode. Um 
because I've not really had massive issues with like how I look, my weight. I mean, no more than any other person. Mm -hmm. Um, But recently I had a bout of like diagnosed agoraphobia Mm. and it was very much uh, a sort of very quick, developed, quite extreme brief lived thing mm-hmm. um and I remember talking to you about it on, at the time yeah I think I rang you and was like I need to go and do something and I literally can't leave my house mm-hmm. I cannot get out the door like my think about like hand on the door handle type yeah. and you're just frozen mm-hmm. and you said a great thing which was I think in these situations you have to feel the fear and do it anyway mm-hmm and at the time I was like, oh my God, I don't want to though. Mm-hmm. And I think I did just do that. Yeah. Um, and it was incredibly unpleasant. And the sense, so I've obviously talked about this a lot in therapy. Because mm-hmm. that's what therapy's for. Yeah. Talking about gross stuff. Um, because the feeling of it was gross. Yeah. The overall, like, when I was experiencing it, I was being like, what's wrong with me? This is insane reaction. There's nothing actually, I don't need to be hidden away from the world. But it was an internal feeling mm-hmm. that was manifesting in, I, don't, I can't, nobody can look at me because mm-hmm. I'm so hideously, awfully unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually you used that term earlier, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of feeling about your appearance was unacceptable. Yeah. But I think the two are pretty much coming from the same place of like um, internal shame. Mm-hmm. that is manifesting in different ways Absolutely. so for me it was like I'm just so weird that I cannot go outside mm-hmm. because people will see that people I'm weird. will see yeah even though I wasn't I wasn't like it's not really the same as body dysmorphia because I wasn't like oh my face is so disfigured yeah no it's not quite the same but it was a emotional feeling mm-hmm. like if there was an emotional version of body dysmorphia spiritual mm. There was like it. Was, it felt like there was a big speech bubble above my head, being like, "I'm fucking weird. Yeah. Don't look at me on the street." Um, but it has passed mm-hmm. because uh, I think largely because of, like as I say, support from family and friends. I you other family members, friends, because mm-hmm. um, I knew that the first thing to do was communicate it and mm-hmm. be like oh my god I'm having this weird thing yeah that was really good and you need to all know about it mm-hmm. and then the second thing was going to therapy and being like why can't I leave the house yeah. this week mm-hmm. and her being like well okay this is interesting what's going on Yeah, and kind of just accepting it and mm-hmm. being like this is really massively inconvenient currently Yeah, because you need to leave the house to do stuff yeah. like that is a fact of life <laughs> and it's annoying but eventually it just passed Mm-hmm. And that's why I continue to go to therapy because if I had not been currently in therapy, actually getting involved in a program of therapy or finding someone would have been like 50 million times more difficult simply because Absolutely. of the fact that I could not leave the house at that stage. Yeah. And also, you know, the 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 reason why therapy is really important in those situations is so you had me who was like giving little droplets of advice or kind of saying oh you should do this or maybe this would be good or you know and you maybe had friends saying you're honestly you're acceptable you're you're good you're okay or I'll come with you or whatever Mm -hmm. um but the friends and family can only do so much yes and the tendency then is to go back into it and think well they tried to help me they did a little bit they only got me so far and therefore it's unfixable probably and yes. I should just retreat back into this safety of not of not going out. Mm. And therapy, uh, like, what's the word? Cra- uh, jams the door open, you know what I mean? So you've opened the door, oh, your friends yes, and family yes, yes. have opened the door of, the, actually you're okay, mm. this is okay, what can we do about it? Here's a little bit of advice or here's a bit of support. And therapy goes, we're going to jam this door open so that we can just keep exploring this until we resolve this issue rather than letting the door close again and you be stuck in the house. Yeah, I like that door analogy because it also, what you're able to do then is explore it in safety. Mm -hmm. You can't really deal with those things alone. 
when they're as extreme as that. No. Um, Nor can you do it with friends and family. And, no, you know, like, I not. do think that that's important to say that, especially for people who feel like I've tried to talk to my friends and family and they have yeah. dismissed me completely. Yeah, because yeah. that is very common experience. And it's because friends and family are not equipped necessarily to deal with people's problems, either their loved ones' problems. So that's why we go that's why we go elsewhere really yeah you know um that was an amazing turn that you took with that hannah and i'm very very pleased i feel like we've we've given that a good treatment that and i'm conscious All of right. time dressed it down yeah we did we told we gave it what for what for <laughs> you got, i don't know how to use that expression uh, what for. that'll leave a mark have you got a have you got a problem? I have a, so I'm just getting my email open to um get a problem. Yes, yes, we I'll love do some really it. good filler work while you're doing that. Um that's um, my filler work. That's my bumping. Okay. So we want to say thank you so much to all our listeners. We're going to say that every week because Yay. we're absolutely delighted with you. It's so nice. We have a listener from a place called Rancho Chickamonga. What's it called again? Oh, I can't remember. I'm going to Google I've it. I've never said it out loud because you text me it. And then it was just a conversation of us texting it back and forth to each other in capital letters. Excited at the somebody in California listening to us. California. That's Rancho. so glamorous to me. <laughs> We're in Belfast, which is just the opposite Rancho of Chukamonga, yeah. Rancho in, in, Chukamonga. It's quite a, a very nice area in California. Oh my God. In Los Angeles. And we are thrilled with that because we are two, we northern irish girls with weird accents who yeah. find that very exotic um and we want to say thank you to everybody and thank you for um giving us some feedback on instagram about whether you would like a problem or um a dream yes and it was it was kind of close like it was a close race but problems did win out in the end. Yeah. Although people do like us sharing our weird dreams. Yeah. So we will do that. We're I mean, going to we do it anyway. Help ourselves it's really. Fun and it's self indulgent, and uh, everybody loves talking about their own dreams. Yeah. So I'm going to read this problem now. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Oh. Dear Emma and Hannah, I love the podcast. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Um, here is my problem. I have just moved into a new house. For context, I have moved three times now in the last three years. This place isn't perfect, but there isn't much to choose from and this is close to work and the street is nice. The only problem is the walls are pretty thin and the next door neighbours do not seem to be aware of this or they don't care. Mm. They play loud music, piano and have very loud sex all the time. No! Oh, I hate it. I am sort of shocked how much noise two people can make, to be honest. Not just the sex, which is annoying when I'm trying to sleep, but, you know, good for them. (laughs) (laughs) But constant noise outside, like because it is summer, they are cutting hedges, strimming grass and seemingly doing every job imaginable with a petrol powered machine. I have even considered the fact that they might be hearing impaired. Oh, God. Right. Okay. Um, I don't want to make a problem with my new neighbours, but I also don't know how I'm going to tolerate this constant noise. I can't read, work, online meetings are a problem. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, Just a phone call to a friend is difficult with this amount of racket. What do I do? Okay. Wow. Oh, Lord. I mean, I think, first of all, you have to check if they're hearing impaired because that would be awkward. That is crucial information. Yeah. And you don't want to get into a situation where you're suddenly giving off to them and they're like, we're hearing impaired. So sort that immediately. Yeah. Definitely clarify that. It is difficult when people make a lot of noise next door to you. I find I get that myself sometimes. I'm pretty noise intolerant. Yes. And I that hearing you read that out was made me uncomfortable. <laughs> Because I was irritated by the whole thing and I hate when people are relentlessly noisy. Yeah. And the fact that it's happening right beside your house where you live, it's not even like a passing noise. Oh, God, I know. I actually have a friend who um, 
has very noisy neighbours and she's a musician and she needs to like record and do live streams and stuff like that and she particularly doing the outside machines she finds that they're just they're like drilling or like using heavy machinery or something like right outside her house so that she and she is honestly tortured by it so it's it's quite a serious thing what i appreciate about this problem is we asked for low stakes problems and this is the kind of thing we're looking for like it's it's really unpleasant for you but i think there is a solution and um you know, we can talk about that. Sorry, I just sort of <laughs> lost my train of thought. Um, so the first thing is, is you've got to talk to these people. Yeah. So the difficulty with my friend is, I don't think there's a good relationship there. Yes. And so she can't really address it. Okay. She might have tried to in the past, but she's at the stage of the problem now where she's tried to and it's not helpful anyway. Mm-hmm. So my first advice would be, go around a knock on the door and say hi so I just moved in you know um started off right started off right it's really nice straight I'm really enjoying it I I have noticed that the walls are quite thin in terms of noise traveling through and stuff like that um and just get a vibe for where they're kind of going to go with that yeah um the most awkward one is the sex thing I think yeah I mean that's what I was kind of thinking of like I was sort of thinking of, like, a good way to lead in to the discussion uh-huh. is, like, introduce yourself to them, ascertain the chillness level of these people. Mm. Are they going to be friendly or are they going to be, like, what's the problem? Yeah. Because you just never really know. People yeah. have all kinds of variations. Um, but the work thing. Yeah. If, this, if the writer-in were to casually sort of say, listen, I work from home uh-huh. and it's quite sensitive if I'm on Zoom calls or Teams, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Maybe you can say, I don't know what they do, but maybe you can say, I just really need like a clear run, peace and quiet yeah. for that. And even get specific, say like between the hours, you know, my main days are like Tuesday and Friday, I'll be on this, such and such. So that that's a definite you yes. can kind of communicate that, not just like in general, neighbours, could you be a bit quieter? Because uh-huh. that's kind of annoying. They'll probably be like, well, we can't fucking be quiet all the time. We don't know what that means, yeah. I'm just rereading it here. So loud music and piano. piano. And piano really does cover, or travel. travel? Sorry, I was <laughs> looking at the word cover when I said that. <laughs> piano, piano sound does really travel. Yeah. Things. I think it's, I mean, really the only option is to start by addressing it one of the things is is if you're the house that you moved into was maybe vacant for a while or something like that um people don't really realize how much noise they're making anyway but if they haven't had anybody to bother they'll have got used to making a certain amount of noise possibly yeah or they're just not aware that when they play the piano it goes through the wall or that their music is as loud as that Mm -hmm. um so the only option unfortunately first of all is to address it just in the most chill kind way that you can it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be a problem it could become a problem but yeah I would say the key thing is even though I would find this difficult because there's a baseline level of irritation yeah that's already existing do not go around all guns blazing until it's totally necessary because if you start not. right at the top yeah you cannot go any further up uh-huh. in the conflict resolution mountain as it's well known <laughs> it doesn't exist <laughs> no, but, oh don't even it? start me on the peak of of aggression yeah really is that a thing yeah there's a conflict so um i don't know if it's conflict or there's a peak essentially of of conflict and arguments and things like mm-hmm. that so your baseline is just pottering along everything's normal you're watching tv stuff like that and then there's as you say there might be irritations or there might be words exchanged and mm-hmm. you start to go up a triangle up towards oh. a peak and the peak is where you have lost your temper you've right. blown your top you know you've you've shouted you've screamed you've slammed the door whatever and then uh, things naturally calm down yeah. until you return to baseline again right. and the point of that peak having that model as an illustration is at what point in the escalation can you intervene to prevent uh-huh. the explosion at the very top it's a diagram I use with so many families and I always use the example of the teenager not wanting to pick up his shoes mm-hmm. and that this argument escalating into him punching a door and, and what I was trying to illustrate is 
he doesn't necessarily have an anger issue. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily have an anger issue. This has been a series of triggers which you can intervene in yes. and stop it from happening. And how to do that at each stage. To, yeah. So, yeah, do not... So do not go in at the... Do not <laughs> pound at the door say, why are you fuckers so loud? Stop playing the piano, it's shit. Like, just go around at the bottom of the pyramid and see how things escalate. See how or, things lie, yeah. Or do not escalate. And try to avoid escalation. I mean, I'm the most conflict-diverse person that you could ever meet in your life, so I feel like my view would be try to avoid escalation, try to avoid conflict because it's miserable living next door to people that you are not friends with or you're falling out with or you're angry with. Yeah, that's grim. So definitely address that as the first thing. Definitely have a conversation. Try and approach it in a chill way. Um, Suss out the lie of the land. That's all the advice that we've given you so far. It's annoying that I think the last... from that question, mm. I w- you can sort of tell that they wish that there was a magic solution. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not. You know mm. that thing? It, I watch a lot of true crime, mm. as do you, Emma. Yes. And they do. always talk about Occam's razor, which is like, yeah. the, most, uh, the most obvious solution is usually the correct yeah. one. And I wonder, is there an equivalent term for like... The thing that you most don't want to do is probably the best way. Well, I, I do think it's there... it's the doing the hard thing. Yeah, you know they want an easy solution, and and maybe they hope that we would be like, oh, you just like you press the button, the no sign button, <laughs> and I mean I did you actually say to my friend because she's got to the point where she can't um, address. You know, she's it's not like a conversation anymore. Yeah. So I did talk about. Um, you can get these when you're a musician you can get these specially made earphones which are moulded to your ear and it's ear protection essentially for people who have to play in full bands with drum kits and and with huge speakers beside their heads and stuff because you'll go deaf if you're a musician that that works like that so yeah so these you can get these special that are they cost about 200 pounds but they're moulded to your ear yeah you can get cheaper versions of earplugs and you can get noise cancelling headphones which are about 60 quid. I got a good pair for my kid mm. that are were about 60 quid and they're pretty good noise cancelling things. Yeah. So and getting out of the house like it's it it can be torturous to be subjected to that kind of noise and so just there are options whereby you could try to block some of it. Yeah. If the person, if the writer in is anything like me, they will immediately feel contrary at the suggestion of headphones. Because anytime I've been recommended headphones at various points in my life, I'm like, well, I don't want to have to buy a thing. I want them to shut the fuck up. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are well within your rights to think that. Um, but it is a it's good just suggestion. the problem is, what if they don't? What you know? if they don't? The the thing they is, might not. the the magic part of this question the fact that we don't have the magic we don't have the magic wand is um you have to do the hard things you have to have the awkward conversation that's the first thing and the second thing is is the the fact of the matter is you don't control other people's behavior you can't ever make anybody do anything it's up to them whether they do it or not so definitely have a better chance of them doing the thing for you if you go in in a nice pleasant way and sort of say, you know, actually, I work between this hour and this hour. And, you know, I am on Zoom meetings. It's quite sensitive stuff. So, mm. you know, and here's some biscuits. Maybe. Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what about a little fruit basket? Mm. Bring it round. Yeah. Say, Yeah. Biscuits are always good because if they don't drink, then you can be like, I didn't know if you were drinkers or not. So, And then they'll go, oh, I, we are. I love a bottle of wine. Mm. And then the next time, bring them a bottle of wine. Yeah. With an aggressive note tape to the front. <laughs> Stop the fucking piano. <laughs> Stop it. I'm just messing about now, sorry. That's you no. give good advice and I just said increasingly silly things. No, you you started out with brilliant advice. Um, <laughs> I just think the aggressive note probably don't do that right or in her. But um yeah. Unfortunately there's no easy easy solution. Um Train a bird to fly down their <laughs> chimney carrying the note. And then it's not obvious that it's from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, mystery notes. Mis- 
just fire, like keep throwing sticks into their garden and, <laughs> and carved into the stick that says, shut up. <laughs> That'll be subtle enough, I think. Then a rock next. Then they will be quieter because they'll think they've been cursed by a witch. Um, <laughs> in the night time make Blair Witch style like stick people and hang them out the back and all of them have like a little speech bubble coming from the mouth saying quiet quiet don't take any of this advice writer in her what's happened to the I don't corner? know we've gone off the rails okay okay well look I think we we have yeah, that's about long enough for today, Hans. We have to watch our time because we are having episode creep. It's getting longer every week. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Love talking. We love, love to talk. It. So we will say goodbye for now. And hopefully our next episode, we should be joined by a very special guest um, who is uh, a fitness expert. Expert. Yes. And personal trainer in London. He's also an acclaimed author. I'm going to say acclaimed because I acclaim him. I do acclaim him. Actually, he's um, very good. And he's and a writer for, for uh, publications such as FHM. He was the FHM um, fitness and person for Esquire. And, and also Out There magazine. And Out There magazine. And extremely talented musician. He is, And yeah. just all round wonderful person and treasured member of our family. Yes. Zach Cahill. So we're very looking forward to that. We look forward and to introducing him. Probably. We're going to talk about mental health and exercise um, in a little bit more depth because we feel like it's a useful topic. And Zach is cool. He is indeed. So he yeah. will make it interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that's us for this week. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Thanks therapy. therapy. That is very good. A lot of those words that you said made my brain interested. <laughs> and I forgot how to speak during the time that you were talking. I'm just refle- I'm just letting that sink in.